Pastor Paul Boyer and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this lesson from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will equip and motivate you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor Paul as we study the Word together. Yeah, I, I, this is my last, uh, you know, this is the third part of my three-part series. It's, you know, it's a mini-series, which sounds like ABC. But anyway, uh, I sure appreciate the opportunity to get up here, and now I've got to give it back. Um, he's pretty selfish that way. He won't let me keep it. So I've got to give the pulpit back next week. So, But I sure appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to me. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful day. Thanks for coming to the house of the Lord to, to worship and to praise and to hear the word spoken. It's such a blessing every Sunday to see all these like-minded people that love each other, that come together to share their love for God. Um, it builds up my soul. It encourages me to see all of you. So I appreciate you coming out and, and listening to what I might have to say, which I'm praying is not my words, but his. So last week, last week I kind of summarized the week before. I started off just talking about my the first sermon in this series, which was dark and and depressing it was all about sin it was all about the fall it was all about how far we were removed from god and the idea behind that the reason i did it that way and i kind of left it on that in that dark place was so that we would have time to think about that we'd really have time to internalize that over the coming week and and let it sit in our soul how far we have fallen and and the communion with god that was broken and then I went on to bring the good news last week, the good news of grace, the good news of salvation, the good news of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That was the bad news followed by the good news, the salvation of God through Christ and faith, the good news of grace. We talked about paradise created and then paradise lost and then paradise reclaimed and the goodness of God that is ours again. So this week I want to talk about what next. Now that we found God and we found a way back to God and that rift has been repaired, that, that communion has been restored, what I want to talk about this week is what does that mean now? Where do we go from here? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all the many blessings you bring us. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together to worship you in their house and to sing your praises, and to hear your words spoken. To share this time together with people that we love, people that we count as family, not just friends, that we, we can share our love for you. Lord, we thank you for all the many things you do. We thank you for that children's ministry that is so strong and so vital and so important to the future of not only these children, but to the church. Lord, I ask that you be with all this morning that you open the hearts and minds to all that hear this message, that you open the hearts and minds of the children as they learn their lessons in children's church this morning, that you be with the children's church leaders, that you be with me, Lord, that you open my mouth, you open my mind, open my heart to what you would have me say. Lord, I pray that everything that's said here this morning is what has been laid upon my heart, and none of this is from me, but it's all from you. So, Lord, I ask that you be with us now and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's the good news. 
The goodness of God is ours again. After we've fallen so far away and we moved so far from the throne of God, there's a way back. It's ours again. Because he walks with me. And because he talks with me. And because he tells me I am his own. The communion between God and man has been restored because of what Jesus did and is doing. And we can and we should feel good about that. We should live lives overflowing with joy because of that. But in the end, is that all there is to it? So now that we have this relationship with Christ, we're saved, right? Does anybody doubt that? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your, in your heart, if you are now a son and a daughter of the living God, do you have any doubt about the security of your salvation? How do you feel about that? I feel pretty good about that. In fact, I feel great about that. I'm excited about that. Because I have the living God. I have the God of the universe that created all the universe. I have the God who saved me is living inside me. So it's not just me anymore. It's not me against the world. It's not me against Satan. It's not me against sin. It's me following the still small voice of God. Are you excited about that? We can say amen anywhere anywhere in here. Just anywhere you can fit one in. Go ahead. So I'm excited about that. So yes, becoming a Christian, following God, giving your soul over to God, accepting Jesus as your Savior, is it guarantees your salvation. And we preach here at Victory Church, part of the free will Baptist doctrine is this is the security of our salvation. Now we talk about the whole the whole free will doctrine, you still have free will. That you can choose to deny your salvation if you wish to, which I think is good doctrine, and I think it's good scriptural scripturally based doctrine. But I think it's it's not really practical because once you've tasted the good news of Jesus Christ, you're not going to want to give it up. So, yeah, we hold that you can, but do you? So I'm excited about that. But that relationship with Christ, even though it secures my salvation, is not the end. It's the beginning. That's the stepping point. That's the start of our Christian life. There is more that we need to do. Now, that doesn't mean that there is more that we need to do to earn heaven. That's already been done for us. Christ has already paid the rent on our mansion. So don't, take, don't get this wrong. I'm not saying you need to work for salvation. I'm not saying that heaven waits you if you do the right things, if you say the right things, if you read the right books. I'm not saying that. Your salvation has been earned. The debt has been paid. But God doesn't expect us now to sit back and wait for his coming, for Jesus' second coming. He doesn't expect us to wait back until we're in heaven, sit back now and relax, knowing we're secure, and wait until we're face-to-face with God. He's got something more for us to do. We can be confident of our salvation and heaven awaits us, but God expects more. We have work to do. Not to save our souls, not to earn grace, but to please God. He has work for all of us to do. God has left us here for a purpose and he expects us to do things. He expects us to do things that matter. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of my time doing things that don't really matter. He expects us to do things that matter. He calls us into the first steps of obedience. Now, why are we obedient to God? What is our motivation to be obedient to God? Because we fear God? Well, yeah. But not in the way that we fear a pit bull or a snake or, in my case, spiders. Not in that way. We fear God with reverence and awe. We hold God up as the creator of the universe, so much bigger than we are, so much more powerful than we are. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about that reverence and awe, that understanding of who God is. So, yeah, in a way, we obey because God is God. But we also obey for another reason, the same reason I obey my wife, because she's bigger than me and I hold her in fear. No. Because I love her and I want to please her. So obedience to God comes from awe and respect, but it also comes from love. It also comes from willingness to please God and to do things that we know God would find would, would bring God joy. So we're obedient to God because it pleases God and it pleases us to please God because we love him. So the first thing God asks us to do when we become a newborn child of his is to follow through in believers' baptism, which we saw this morning. Once we're saved with with real saving faith, and we're a personal, and and, we're, and it's a personal love and a personal faith, and we become a child of God, He calls us to this public display of faith. The simple ceremony we took part of, of in this morning is a testament to God's loving grace. It's a public proclamation of the love God has for us and the love we have for God. And he called this young man into the grace of God. Baptism didn't save Ezekiel. God saved him. But he proclaimed it to the world by following through in believers' baptism, in obedience to God. So what does it mean to be be obedient? It means placing God before everything else. It means placing full faith in him, not money, not jobs, not health, not school, not parents, not government. It means reading the word of God often, Seeking guidance from godly people. It means praying without ceasing. All of this to discover the perfect will of God. And then more importantly, to do it. It means living large. Not with money or worldly power, but with the power of God. See, God calls us to him. And when he calls us to be his children, he gives us a dream. And he expects us to dream big. He expects us to step outside of our comfort zone. He expects us to see the world as conquerable, not the conqueror. God has big things in mind for us. He has big dreams. He has called us to be so much more than we can imagine. He has given us big hopes and those big dreams. But more importantly, he's given us the power to pursue them. He's asked us to feed the hungry, to help the poor, to care for the widows, to be the salt and light of the world. Those are all tall orders, but there's more. All that he's called us to shows the world what the church is. But what we are is even bigger than that. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, this is the Great Commission. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you don't stop there. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So our mission, ladies and gentlemen, the Great Commission, is to leave this church and to go out there. It's scary out there. It's dangerous out there. It's safe in here. The air conditioner works really well. We're comfortable. This isn't our this isn't our mission. Yes, we have ministry to do. We need to care for each other. We need to love each other. We need to support each other. We need to help each other when they're sick. We need to bring food to to a family when they've had a, an, an illness. We need to we need to rally around each other and hold each other up. We need to prove our love of God by the love that we show for each other. That's all ministry, and that's important. But the commission is more. The mission is more. The mission is to go outside of these walls and bring the love of God to that world, the world that doesn't know God. Now, that's a big, that's a big task. That's a big job. How are we going to show the love of God to everybody? Everybody. Not just America. Not just North America. But everybody. The whole world. In the scripture, in the original Greek, it says, make disciples of all ethnos. means all people. When we talk about nations, we can infer that means geographical boundaries. The United States, Canada, Mexico, Uganda, whatever. That's not what he meant. He meant every person, all persons of the world. We're to take the gospel to everyone. It's a big order. I don't know how I can do it. How is this possible? How can I make a difference? What can I do that matters? Well, I can do very little. There's very little I can do. You know, I'm just one man with limited resources that God has graciously given, graciously given me, but there's only so much I can do. My power doesn't extend very far. But fortunately, I'm not depending on my power. In Ephesians 3:20 through 21 it says, "Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God wants us to dream this big dream. God wants us to take the commission to the entire world. God wants us to, to, to minister to the poor and the widows. God has this big dream for us. And God is the master of big. Right? Tyler was talking this morning about, and thanks for sharing, Tyler was talking this morning about the eclipse. I saw an article about the eclipse too. and It says, does the eclipse prove there is a God? Yeah. Did the sun come up this morning? Does that prove there is a God? Yeah. This is the year when the cicadas come out. Does that prove there is a God? Yes. Yes, the eclipse is the work of God. How else can we have something that's so precise and so predictable that they can determine the last time we had an eclipse just like this one in St. Louis was 1452? Now, that's just an accident. 
this thing's just kind of happened. There was a big bang, and everything got flying around, and it could coalesce into planets. And it just works out that it's that predictable and that precise and that scheduled. No. It's the work of God. Does the eclipse prove there is a God? Yes. Do we need to wait for the eclipse to understand that there's a God? No. Are we here this morning? Yes. Most of us have a heartbeat. Okay. Yes. That proves there is a God. If you don't have a heartbeat, raise your hand. We've got some medical people in here. But most of us, uh, God is with us every day. We see God everywhere we look. We can't avoid God because God is big. And God brings us big dreams. He has big plans. He has big hopes. He has big chores for us to do. And all of that is to demonstrate his power. And all of that is for his glory. In Mark 10, 27, it says, Jesus looked at them, looking at them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. God wants us to do things that matter. He wants us to live big. He wants us to dream big. He wants us to live differently. To follow Jesus requires a whole new way of living. Life is no longer about us. It's about him. Selfishness becomes selflessness. Self-love becomes sacrificial love. The life of a devoted follower in Christ looks different. It feels different. It sounds different. The things you value change. The things of the world are no longer what you're chasing after. You're now chasing after the things of God. You're different. You stand out. You're a city on a hill. You're a light on a lampstand. The world can see who you are. You don't fit. In a world of hate and pain and self-interest, you're showing love, compassion, and sacrifice. Committed to something higher than yourself. So the question is, can the world see that in you? Now, is that easy? No. In Luke 9, it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet forfeits himself? So I ask this question. You need to ask this question of yourself. What does the world see when they look at me? Am I different? Can they tell the difference? In Galatians 5 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those who, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faith, and gentleness, and self-control. How many times, how often do you see any of those in the world? Not very often. Usually see just the opposite. You see hate, and pity, and self-pity, and war, and impatience, and unkindness, and the lack of goodness. Faith in nothing but themselves. No gentleness, and no self-control. 
What a marked contrast between the life of a Christian and the life of a non-believer. It's entirely different. It's 180 degrees. It's repentance. And what repentance means is to turn around. So when you come to God and you repent and you're saved from your sins, you live differently. You act differently. You become a different person. And I don't know about you. And we, we all have, could tell our, our salvation stories. And we might all have, have different stories. But for me, the day I was saved, I was instantly a different person. The things that were important to me the day before were no longer important today. The way I acted, the way I talked, the people I hung around with, the things that were important to me changed like that. I could tell the difference, and people around me can tell the difference. I was on a ship at the time, and I went down to the birthing area where we, 13 of us slept in this little room this big, so I go down to the birthing area, and one of my friends was laying in his bed reading a book. And he looked at me and says, what's wrong with you? You're scaring me. And I said, let me tell you what's wrong with me. I just got saved. Let me tell you what that means. He could see the difference. The world needs to be able to tell who the Christians are and who they aren't. And it's because of the love of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. Just the other day, a week or so ago, I went to lunch with some coworkers. And they were talking amongst themselves. I'm sitting quietly at the end of the table. And the topic got around to their drinking adventures the night before. I was sitting there just eating my sandwich, and I noticed that they were kind of glancing at me. And I make no secret that I'm a Christian, and I make no secret that I'm a pastor. I mean, I don't, I don't rub it in people's faces, but if the subject comes up, I'm more than happy to talk about it. So they all knew. So they were wondering how I was going to react to this conversation. So finally, one of them got the courage to ask me, and she said, you can't drink? And I said, well, I don't have a physical disability. I don't get all my fluids through a tube or something. Yeah, I mean, I can drink. What do you mean? And and then I went on to explain that I don't drink, and there's a difference between can't and don't. I don't because I choose not to. I went on to explain that I don't drink because of my conviction that it would displease God and it would diminish my witness. I told him that as a declared Christian, I'm being watched by the world and I'm expected to be different. As a pastor, I'm even under even more scrutiny and held to even higher standards. And besides that, it's just a bad idea. So I got to witness to him a little bit, but they could see the difference. They felt a little convicted by that, I think. But they had finally had the nerve to ask me, you know, you can't drink? Like, yeah, I can, but I don't. And let me explain why. And the reason why is because of my position in Jesus Christ. So he calls us to, he calls us to have big dreams. He calls us to live differently. And then he calls us to love boldly. In Matthew 22, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, a lawyer, you know they are, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, what command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on those, these two commands. We're supposed to love God, and then we're supposed to love each other. 
That's pretty bold. We're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love the world even when they hate us. Even when they persecute us. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do we love anybody as much as we love ourselves? No, you know, I mean, I'm pretty lovable. I can love myself a whole lot. Is there anybody that I love as much as me? The world doesn't think so. That's foolishness to the world. Because in their mind, they are what's important. Love my neighbor. Eh, neighbor can take care of himself. What's important is what I get. And what's in this for me. In John 13, he said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. Now, John's talking about the church. We were talking about loving the world. Now we're talking about loving each other. Now, I would think it would be a whole lot easier to love you than it would be to love them. Because I have a lot more in common with you. We share the same spirit we share the same soul we the holy spirit that is dwelling in me is also dwelling in you we share the same goals we want this church to prosper we want the people in this church to prosper we want to care for each other we love each other but then we get our feelings hurt when somebody got a position that that i really wanted or the chairs were set up in a way that you didn't like or the music isn't exactly We forget sometimes that we're to love each other and forgive each other. We see churches split all the time because they've lost this love for each other. Because if you love something, you place it before yourself, right? So that means that if I love you, then what you need and what is laid on my heart that God has called you to is more important than me. I get to get up here and speak to you. That's what God has called me to do. That doesn't make me better than you. It doesn't make me more important to you. It doesn't make my needs paramount. What's most important to me is you. Because I love you. And we should love each other. We should take care of each other. We are brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters sometimes fight. But in the end, they still love each other. The world looks at us, and they can't figure this out. They can't figure out what it is that brings people to my house every Friday night. And we have snacks, and they're usually pretty good. And, and now we've got babies to pass around, so that's a draw. We could probably sell tickets for the babies. But that's not what brings us together every Friday night. What brings us together every Friday night is the love that we have for each other. And my neighbors are looking at that saying, they must be playing poker or something. There's got to be something exciting going on over there because there's a whole, the whole cul-de-sac is full of cars going to that house every Friday night. And they don't leave sometimes till midnight. What's going on with those people? It's the love of God that sets us apart. It makes us different. Back when the trailer park was here, I I met some people from the trailer park, and one lady, you know, she was watching what we did over here. She said, yeah, you put up a cross in the back. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, and you have, on Tuesday night you have this going on, and on Wednesday night you have that going on. And she she was 
you know, stalking us, I think. No, she was paying attention to what we were doing. And, and she had questions. Well, why do you do this? What's the deal on Wednesday night? Why are there so many cars and all these little kids running around? Well, let me explain what that is. That's, that's Awanas, and that's, you know, we're teaching these kids the faith, and we're you know, instilling in them the love of God and passing the scripture. Why do you do that? Because we love these kids and want the best for them. The world sees that we're different. We're set aside because of our love for each other. That marks us as Christians. We love God, we love the word, and we love each other. But what does all that mean? The whole, I'm going to read you the whole chapter of Corinthians 13. Ready? I'll try, to, I'll try not to be too boring. Corinthians 13. If I speak human or angelic languages, but I do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast that I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. It does not act improperly. It is not selfish. It is not provoked. And it does not keep record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. But we know in part, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. But I know in part, then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So we're called a dream big we're called to live differently, and we're called to love boldly. The band wants to come up. I'm at my conclusion. I say all this because sin is real. Condemnation is real. Death is real. And it is all part of the fall from grace. It's the dominion of the devil. It's the spiritual battle which is being waged all around us. Because of our fall from Adam, we, all of us, are cursed by sin as a part of who we are. We are sinners in need of a Savior, fallen and lost and hopeless and doomed, convicted already by God's justice. Justice that requires death as the penalty for sin. God requires that blood be shed and a sacrifice be made to atone for the sin of the world, and justice demands it. But there's good news. God himself provided the sacrifice, the blood, and the death. Jesus, the son of the God in the flesh, became the sacrifice. His blood was shed in place of mine. His death was offered as a substitute to mine. The debt I could never pay was paid in full. A Savior has arrived and justice has been met with grace. 
I'm still a sinner. I'm still convicted of my crimes. And I will continue to be convicted until the moment that I understand that fact and the truth of it. Until the moment I'm convinced that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And then step two is to believe in my heart. We must believe in our hearts that Jesus is the one and nothing else can save us. That He died for us. He died for me. And step three is to profess that truth and let the world see the new creature that I become. Our lives have been changed. Our futures are sure. Our salvation has been purchased. The Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in our hearts. Just as sin changed everything, salvation changes everything back, making all things new. What then? Our new life comes from God's promise. His promise of peace and joy and eternal security and heaven in the end. But in the meantime, we have work to do. Not to earn our salvation that was freely given, but out of love and obedience to God. We do these things out of love for God and respect for Him, and we do these things because we want to please God, not because we have to. God has called us to dream big, to live differently, and to love boldly. That's Christ-filled living. And those are the fundamentals. Now we could talk about assurance of salvation. We can talk about the virgin birth. We can talk about the divinity of Christ, the actual truth of the resurrection. All of those are Christian fundamentals, but it all comes down to faith, joy, love. It all comes down to dreaming big and living differently and loving boldly. Those are the fundamentals. That's the basis of our faith. That's the truth that Christianity is based on. And they all point to one place in the world at one particular time in history and to one Savior for all the people for all time. They all point to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this message. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here. Thank you, Lord, for using me. I pray that everything that has gone come through this pulpit today is glorifying to you. That it brings glory to you and it brings praise to you. Lord, we understand, I understand, that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. There is only one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that those who have not heard that message or those that don't understand their position as sinners, fallen sinners in need of a Savior, can come to that conclusion. They can hear these words spoken and that the Holy Spirit will use that seed to work in their hearts, to bring them to that point of conviction where they understand that there is no hope without a Savior. Then, Lord, I ask that these words be used as the seed to bring to their mind and to their heart the truth that this is the only Savior that, that can be called a Savior is Jesus Christ. No work, no effort, nothing we can do on our own power can save us. Only Christ can. We're sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is the one and only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, who came to earth and He lived and He died was resurrected 
to meet the requirement of sin, to pay that debt. Lord, I ask that this become real to all those that hear it. Lord, I ask that those that have heard this long ago and have accepted Christ as their Savior and they've followed through and been living the life that you've called them to live, that may have fallen away, to bring them back to the true spirit, back to the true faith, back to the true love, rekindle in us all that spirit, that love that we had at first. Lord, I ask that you be with this church who tries so desperately to seek you. Nothing we do here at Victory Church, I pray, is of our own power, that it's all from you. It's all your leading, that the Holy Spirit is moving through all that we do here. Lord, I ask for your blessing on this congregation. I ask that you be with us now as we go through this week. Remind us always who we are in you. And remind us who we are in the world. And let us be that city on the hill, that light on the lampstand, that salt and the light. Lord, we're so humble in your presence. Remind us always of your grace. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for joining us for this lesson from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360, or you can email us at victoryfwb at gmail.com. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email, call, or send a request to 223 Scott Troy Road, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.